0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. All righty, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome, 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 welcome back. It's good to see you back here after last week. I wasn't sure if all of you would be coming back. I'm very deeply gratified to see you here, back and again. Thank you so much for coming out. Please give yourselves a very warm round of applause. That's right. I also want to thank the amazing staff over at Beth Yehuda and Partners Detroit for arranging these lunch learns, for putting out this beautiful lunch, for taking such good care of us. And I want to thank the amazing staff over at Torah Anytime. It's an app, it's a website. It's filled with insanely awesome Jewish knowledge and it will make you a better human being just by going there, listening, downloading and filling your mind with great Torah knowledge. I also want to mention that my classes now are available on podcasts, on Spotify, and Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, and any kind of podcast, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, if you get podcasts, under the name Jewish Living with Burnham. Alright? <laughs> Jewish Living with Burnham. Okay, now... righty, here we go. So we're now going to talk about Rosh Hashanah. Obviously, we all know that on Rosh Hashanah, we eat certain foods that signify certain things. We eat an apple dipped in honey, and we ask for a sweet new year. We eat leek, which in Hebrew means karti, and we ask shayi kartu, sonenu. Our enemy should be cut off. Some people have a more modern twist. We eat a raisin and a celery, and we ask Kodesh to give us a raisin or celery. <laughs> right? We should probably be eating peas as well and ask God if he can give us, please, peas in our times. Uh, Maybe we should eat honeydew and say, God, please remove honeydew from my wife's vocabulary. (laughs) So, um, talking of Rosh Hashanah. Three months before he died, a man in his late 70s comes to Yad Vashem on Yom HaShoah to present to the museum something that had been with him his whole life, and had been with him a great treasure, the most extraordinary cement sacks in all of history. Before the world, before the world war, Naftali Stern and his wife Bluma, and four children lived in the town of Tsatman Nemeti, also known today as Satmar, the town where the Satmar Hasidic group came from. Town in Hungary. And on a dark dark day in May of 1944, the whole Stern family was deported to Auschwitz. Upon arrival, his wife and four children were sent to the left, and the healthy 34 year old Naftali was sent to the right for a more prolonged death sentence. As the war progressed and things began looking grim for the Nazis, Naftali was sent to the German city of Wolfsburg now most famous for housing the headquarters of Volkswagen. Volkswagen even has a Wolfsburg edition. In Wolfsburg, the Jews were... It was a notorious slave labor camp where the Jews were forced to build bunkers and trenches to protect the Nazi high command as they were retreating. And there... As Rosh Hashanah of 1944 started approaching, a Rosh Hashanah that probably could be described as the darkest Rosh Hashanah in history. At this time, the the killing of the Jews from Hungary was in full swing. Right, The Jews in Hungary, about 850,000 of them were killed in a few months. The Germans were at their peak efficiency, so to speak. Probably never been a darker time in history with so many Jews dying so fast. And young Naftali wanted more than anything else to have a Rosh Hashanah davening. Weeks in advance, he began preparing. He began trading his bread rations. Now in those days, bread equaled life. Bread equaled calories. These people were working. You know, my family was at the Lumberman's Monument in northern Michigan. The Lumbermen were working outside all day, cutting down trees, hauling heavy logs, They would eat five meals a day. Five meals a day, and those meals would be heavily laden with calories. They were not eating, you know, uh, celery and some, you know, low-fat milk. They were eating steaks and buttered biscuits and thick porridge. I mean, they were eating an incredible, they were eating five times a day. And these men were all... Hale and hardy, because they were working so hard, they just were burning so many calories. The people in the Holocaust were working in slave labor camps, hauling cement, building trenches, building buildings, quarrying, working all day, and they were getting 200 calories a day if they were lucky. It's a miracle that literally anybody who survived any, any amount of time in the Holocaust is an absolute walking miracle. And there's so few of them left. If not treasure, every single last survivor there is. Because everyone you see who's a Holocaust survivor who's walking this earth is a, a, a walking miracle. Bread was life, bread was calories, and he starts trading part of his bread for pencils and old cement sacks. And back in the barracks, during the few precious hours they had to sleep, which was also so little time to sleep, so little to eat, Naftali was scrawling the Rosh Hashanah davening from memory onto these small squares of cement sacks. When Rosh Hashanah arrived, there was a Nazi guard who was trying to hedge his bets. They saw the end of the war was near. They saw they were finished. So this particular Nazi was a little bit more, so to speak, more disposed to acquiescing to the Jews' requests. And he said he would let them do their thing in their barracks if they were willing to forego breakfast that day. So that means anybody who wanted a daven, Rosh Hashanah davening, would not get breakfast. Again, every single day your food was your life. Naftali, who had been a chazin, back in Satmar, was given the honor of leading the services. And there, in the heart of incomprehensible darkness, hundreds of Jews who had given up their life itself were huddled around as Naftali's sweet voice rang out. And so to Hashem, Grant honor to your people, praise to those who revere you, good hope to those who seek you. And all the wickedness, will evaporate like smoke. And may you, Hashem, alone reign supreme over the whole world in your glory. In the midst of the ashes of a world torn apart, hundreds of weak voices calling for rebirth, hundreds of souls crying out to the return of the Malchus Hashem of the kingship of God. That was so incredibly hidden at that time. Hundreds of Yiddish and Neshamos connected to the very essence of Rosh Hashanah, despite everything that could have held them back. Baruch Hashem, Naftali Stern lived out the war, and he carried his little machzer, his cement sacks, on his body for the rest of his ordeal, undoubtedly gaining strength from it in his darkest moments. And when the war ended, Naphtali immediately went to Israel to begin a new family. And he raised a beautiful family in Eretz Yisrael. And every Rosh Hashanah, as he su- stood, swaying silently in shul with tears streaming down his face, praying for the grandchildren that now stood at his side, holding his hands while he davened Shmona Esrei, he clutched those cement sack squares in his right hand, Davening fervently. Once again, rule over the whole world in your glory. If you want to see what those sacks looked like, please turn to the last page of your source sheets. This is literally a color photocopy of those cement sacks. And you can see the writing etched in it. You can see there's on the on the top left you could see Vigarolenu khawa minam he's Alenu Alenu which we bow down on the floor on Rashashana Alenu Mishab ya khadoinakol you could see the Vigarolenu khawa minam va nahnu koyrim o you could see it on the top left over there Oh and he Mamashazri you could see parts of of Malchios, it's unbelievable. This is, this is, right here. This is a living embodiment of somebody who mastered the challenge of poverty. And I don't mean poverty, just of financial. He was living in a time of terrible curses, a time of unimaginable darkness, a time of incredible lack. When HaKadosh Baruch Hu was so hidden, yet Naftali was able to coronate on that day, to coronate Hashem and say, Hashem Yimloch Lorum you will be the king forever and ever. To pray for Hashem's kingdom to be revealed, to call out in his name. We have the opposite challenge. We live with the challenge of rich- richness. We live in a time of incredible blessing. Of a time of incredible light. Of a time of unimaginable wealth and privilege. Where everyone in this room has more comforts than 99% of humanity throughout all of history. We live lives that, Baruch Hashem, are coddled and comfortable. We don't know... What it means to go to bed hungry? We don't even know what it means to go to bed cold. If you keep your heat at sixty-eight, oh, it's cold in the house. We live in a time where Akharas Baruch beneficence is so clear. We have the challenge of coronating Hashem out of wealth. Do we truly pray for His kingdom? Do we truly call on His name? Do we truly recognize that despite the apparent wealth around us the world is so absolutely and abjectly lacking godliness in it and it's so deeply necessary? Now the pendulum is swinging a little bit. We're seeing a little bit more of the Obviousness of God's need in this world now more than when I was younger growing up. We lived the world is right now spinning faster, careening around corners on two wheels. It's a little bit easier to start understanding how deeply we need Hashem. But it's still tough for us because we're still living comfortably. There's the Nisayon of Osher and there's the Nisayon of Oni. There's the challenge of poverty and there's the challenge of wealth. Naftali Stern and all of his barracks that had given up their breakfast that morning to call out, they mastered the Nisayon of Oni, the challenge of poverty. Can we master the challenge of recognizing God in His own world, in His own dominion, seeing the role He already pray, plays in our lives and calling out for His more obvious representation in the world. And it's something we struggle with each year. What does it mean to coronate God? What does it mean? To recreate ourselves on Rosh Hashanah, how do we do it? What are we supposed to be doing with our Rosh Hashanah? Furthermore, Rosh Hashanah seems like a strange time. A time for dichotomies. On one hand, we've spoken about the idea of making Hashem our king on Rosh Hashanah. And if you look at the prayers, most of them seem to be talking about that. On the other hand, we know that something big is going on in Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is the first two days of what's called the Aseres Yemei Teshuvah, the ten days of repentance. And as the Babylonian Talmud tells us, in source number one, Rosh Hashanah, 16b, Amrav Av Yechanan, Rev says the name of Rav Yechanan, there are three books open, three books open on Rosh The one of total evil people, the one of totally righteous people, and the one of the middle of the road people. The totally righteous people are written and sealed immediately for life. The totally wicked people are written and sealed immediately for death. The Beinonim, the middle of the road people, are Tluyim Omdim. They're hanging in suspense May Rosh Hashanah v'ad Yom Kippur, from Rosh Hashanah until Yom Kippur. And they have ten days. Ten days to get it right. Now imagine, I just came back from West Virginia. West Virginia, mountain <laughs> okay. mountain. little John Denver there. Um, we were on a trip there with partners. It was an amazing trip. We, we went whitewater rafting and zip lining, and I did a mud obstacle course for the first time in my life, probably my last time in my life. But went in West Virginia, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> do as the West Virginians do, and they do mud real well. Anyway, so, <laughs> um, it was also, we had a lot of classes. It was a beautiful. We had crimson. It, it was a very uplifting trip, a very, very uplifting trip. We went on these zip-lining courses, and you're zipping across these valleys, suspended hundreds of feet above the valley floor. Now, imagine you're one of the employees of the company, and you decide you're going to go out on your own. You know you're not supposed to, but you're going to go out on your own. You should never go out on your own zip-lining. And you go out to the middle of the zip line, and something happens. The zip line starts to teeter and fall, and now the zip line. Breaks free, which would be horrifying. Now, by the way, they told us to make us comfortable. They said two trees. There was a storm recently, and two trees fell down on the zip lines, and the zip lines still didn't give way. Wow. So, don't worry. You know, Baruch Hashem, it's, I did something relatively safe. They, weren't, they didn't fall down while we were on it. It was in the middle of a, a thunderstorm. But imagine, you're there, you're zip lining all by yourself, and suddenly... The cord goes loose and you go flying over the valley and now you're suspended 100 feet above the valley. Now in West Virginia, there's not great telephone reception. So you take out your cell phone, you're going to try to call 911 and your cell phone falls out of your hands. You're now suspended 150 feet over a valley floor and you've got no cell phone, but luckily when you go out ziplining on your own, you bring some flares. In case of emergency, shoot up these flares. And you only have ten flares. Now, mind you, people are not generally scanning the skyline looking for flares, right? Especially not in West Virginia. So, you've got ten flares, and every single one of those flares is one-tenth of your chance of living. You are literally totally vomit. You're hanging in suspension, okay? Like we are going to be in the 10 days from Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. And you've only got 10 days to get yourself to safety. Imagine if a couple of those flares just fell out of your bag and crashed to the floor below. You'd be like crestfallen. We have 10 days from Rosh Hashanah until Yom Kippur. They're called the 10 days of Teshuvah, the 10 days of repentance. Each one of those is a life flare. You send up a flare saying, I'm going to try everything I can to hopefully do the right things, get in the right mindset, do my Teshuvah, do my repentance, to be given an amazing year, because I'm right now sitting here suspended, totally va'omid. And that's why, if you look in source number 3, this is from the Beis HaBekhira, which was written by the Me'iri, a Mustafa's Roshana. The Me'iri, one of the early commentators, says, Even though every day it's fitting for a person to examine his actions in order to repent from his bad ways, Kamosh Amru Zal and Avos, like the Chazal told us in Pirkei Avos and Ethics of Our Fathers, in the second chapter of Mishnah Yud, Shuv Yomachal Lefneim Yisazcha. You should always do Teshuvah one day before you die, to which the sage said, You don't know when you're going to die. And they say, Exactly, that's the point. So do Teshuvah every day. Every day you should be looking at your actions. Every day you should be taking stock of what you did. What did I do right today? What did I do wrong today? What can I reinforce for tomorrow? What can I do better tomorrow? Every day we should have that kind of self reflection process. However, on Rosh Hashanah, sorry. On Rosh Hashanah, and this time, specifically on Rosh Hashanah, you should arouse yourself much, much more. And he should arouse himself to examine his actions and repent from whatever avarice he finds in his hands. And he who is neglectful from doing teshuva in this time, has no portion in the God of Yisrael because in the entirety of the year, there's no time when the arousal for Teshuvah is as easy as Rosh Hashanah. Wow. So of all the flares you have in your bag, the Meiri is saying, two of the biggest flares, the ones that are going to make the brightest light in the sky, are Rosh Hashanah. However, the problem is, that if you look in the machzer I don't find any repentance phrases in the Rosh Hashanah book. You ever notice that? In Yom Kippur, it's all about repentance. The Rosh Hashanah book, though, has nothing about repentance. You open it up, all about God being the king. The only there's like a few tiny mentions. If we say avinu malkeenu, we say Chatanu lefanecha. We say avinu Malkainu, you know, we we sinned. And we say, uh, I think we say we should forgive us. But other than that, like, there's nothing about repentance. I've got ten flares. Two of them are super supersized flares. These are the, this is the best time to do repentance. There's no time, says the, the Meiri, that's better for doing repentance. But there's nothing in the book about Repentance. Not only that, when people tried to repent, the rabbis were like, no, 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 stop that. How do I know this? You can find that in the sources too. Source number four. Source number four, you can find pretty much everything in the sources. If you guys would like the lottery numbers, they're there already. They're just encoded. Okay, source number four. The book of Nehemiah, chapters 8, verses 9 through 11. This story is telling the story about how the Jewish people came back from Babylonia, and they were there to rebuild the second temple. And during their time in exile, many of them had intermarried, many of them had done all sorts of activities they were not proud of. And they come back, and it's the first Rosh Hashanah, and they build this big wooden platform, and the Navi and the leaders, the prophets and the leaders are reading of the Torah, and the people start to cry because they know they've done they've done wrong. They've strayed from the path while they were in exile. Vayomer says, source number four. Vayomer and who are and Nehemia. The Tarshitah says, V'ezra of and Ezra the priest, Hasopher the scholar, Valavim Hamivinim asam and the Levites who were helping the people understand. And these people are now finally getting what they did wrong. They're hearing the words of God. They've come back. They're in Israel now. And they start to cry. And they say, Today is holy to your Hashem, your God. Don't, don't mourn. And don't cry. Because the whole people were crying. Because when they were hearing the words of the Torah, they were realizing, oh my gosh, we've strayed so far. So the people start crying. And the prophets, and the Levites, and Ezra, and Nehemiah are telling people, don't cry, don't cry, today's holy to God. So so, so what should we do? Vayomer And he said to them, Go eat fatty foods, get some fatty brisket, not the lean brisket. I know it's healthier, but I mean Rosh Hashanah, you know what I'm saying, it's a little bit tastier, you get a little bit more marbleization. He said, Go eat fatty foods. And drink sweet drinks. This may be a source for having soda on the table at Rosh Hashanah. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a big fan of soda on the table ever. But maybe, maybe. This is a source. It says, Go drink sweet drinks. And if anybody in the group doesn't have any food prepared for them because they weren't preparing festive foods, Make sure they have festive foods too. Because today is holy, Tar Master. Don't be sad. Because the joy of God is your strength. And the Levites are hushing all the people. Shh, 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 Stop crying. They're saying, Hush. Today is holy. Don't be sad. I don't know what to do anymore. I don't know what to do anymore. <clears throat> you tell me <clears throat> that this is one of... These are the first two of the Sarasim made This This is the first two days of repentance. You tell me that there's no better day to repent than this day. I say, fine, I'm going to behave. I, start, I, I lower my head in sadness, and I start thinking of all the things I've done wrong. It's not good. I don't feel good about myself. And I start crying out to God with bitterness over all the things that I've done wrong. And then he said, stop, stop, shh, shh, no crying, no crying. Do you want me to repent? Or do you not want me to repent? If you don't want me to repent, call it the eight days of teshuvah. There's two days of Rosh Hashanah, and there's eight days of teshuvah. But if you want me to repent, and you want me to feel bad, isn't repentance about feeling bad for your actions? Isn't that one of the key core components of repentance? Charata, feeling bad for what you did? So what do you want? Do I don't know what to do. What should I do on Rosh Hashanah, ladies and gentlemen? What should I do? What should we all do on Rosh Hashanah? Let's try to define repentance. So, we'll start with Rabbi Yonah. Rabbi Yonah wrote a great book called Shara Teshuva*, And he writes there, in the first chapter, Bayom. On that day, Yashlich Kal of when a person wants when a person's finally ready to do to do Teshuva, to repent, he should throw away all of the iniquities that he has done. Bo bayom no lad. You should make yourself like you were born that day. Chova, like you have no merits and no demerits as if it's the first day you're alive the first day of your actions today he's going to weigh his pathways to make sure they should not move him from the good path this will cause him to have a complete repentance does anything bother you about that statement? it says over here On that day, he should make himself like he was born that day, and he has no merits and no demerits. Now, I know I've done a bunch of things wrong this year, but I I did do a bunch of things right. On a lot of Thursdays, I gave up whatever I was doing. I was getting ready for Shabbos, I was going shopping. I dropped it all and I came to listen to Rabbi Burnham at 12 o'clock. That's got to count for something. I gave charity. I prayed. I said, brachos. Brachos. I was kind to all my neighbors. I encouraged people. I made phone calls to people I knew were going through a tough time. I called people two days after the shiva. right? Two days after the shiva is a tough time. During the shiva, everyone's coming and visiting and being with you. And then suddenly, the first day you're just exhausted because shiva is exhausting, so you're mostly sleeping. The second day you wake up and there's emptiness in the house. I made phone calls to people on the second day after shiva. I, I, I did I did gave a lot of charity. I, why do I want to give that all up? It says, I want to make it as if this day, I like this is the beginning of my actions. And I have no merits or demerits. Why would I want to give up all my demerits? It's actually fascinating. There's a whole Gemara. If you look at your source sheets, there's a Gemara in Brachos, page Lamed bays Lamed bays 32B where the Jewish people say, Master of the universe, since there's no forgetfulness before the throne of glory, perhaps you're going to always remember the sin of the golden calf. So Hashem re- replies with a verse from the book of Isaiah, I'll forget these sins. The people say, wait, wait, wait. The Jewish people say, Master of the universe, if you're going to forget, I say, now that we know you can forget things, we thought you couldn't forget, so you were never going to, you're never going to forget about the golden calf, this act of betrayal we did. But now that we know that you have the ability to forget, maybe you're going to forget all my good deeds at Sinai, where I said, where I accepted the Torah. Hashem says, No, 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 no. I'll quote you another verse from Isaiah. Vanochi loash I won't forget you. So clearly, the Jews are, they, they, they usually want to be setting up a situation where we want God to remember all the good, we don't want him to remember all the bad. That sounds reasonable. Why does it say here that the process of teshuva has to be where you wake up? You have no merits and no demerits. We see this theme not just in the Rabbeinu Yonah, we see it in Maimonides as well. Maimonides in source number seven, Rambam Helchos teshuva, the laws of teshuva, chapter 2, halacha 4. He's talking about what are the ways of teshuva. It says, You should remove yourself far away from whatever you sinned with. You change your name. If on the streets you were known as Big Dog, you say, Don't call me Big Dog anymore. Just call me Lady. You change your name. Kalomar, as if to say, I'm a different guy than, than Big Dog. Right? I'm just not that person. It's like you're in the witness protection program. You used to be Sammy the Bull Gravano and they put you in the witness protection program and you come out and your name is Wilbur, you know, McCormick and you're a refrigerator salesman in Omaha. You know, like, like you're just a new person, entirely. But then again, that also would indicate you have no all the good deeds are gone too. You wipe everything clean. Why are we wiping everything clean? Rav Shimson Pincus, who was a, a great great rabbi, who unfortunately died at a very young age in a horrible car accident, he explains this idea in his in his masterpiece on the Yom Rayam on the Days of Awe. He quotes a verse in Isaiah. The verse says, "Shimu rechokim asher asisi here." All of you who are far away, that which I have done, and those who are close to me know my might. The difference between seeing and knowing, right? The people who are far away, they can only see Hashem. The people who are close, they know Hashem. Who are the close ones? Who are the far ones? Who's close to God? Who's far from God? I don't know. Who am I to judge? We never know. But Rashi gives us a little bit of an insight. Rashi says, "Who are the far away ones, rekhokim? B bi osim ratzonim minureim. The people who are far away are those who believe in me and who have done my will from their youth. What we call the goody-two-shoes. Right, the people who always the guys who always do everything right. Those are the ones that are far away from me," says God. "Who are the karovim, who are the close ones?" Those who did repentance, those who changed their ways as they went through life. Those who used to be further away from me. Those who started eating more kosher in their lives. Those who made Shabbos more beautiful and more sacred throughout their lives. Those are the ones who are close to me. The ones who've always done it right, they see me. But the ones who used to do it wrong and now are close, those are the close ones. They know me because they know the other side is empty. They know the other side is unfulfilling. They know the other side is devoid of meaning. And they've made that move to come to me. They've made the move to come to spiritual life and spiritual engagement because they've seen that the other side just doesn't work. They know me, they know my might. So I understand why you say the people who came close to God throughout their lives by changing their lives, those are the close ones. I get that. And I understand how they know with a certainty. But what about the guys who've done everything right? They've been good their whole lives. They've struggled to maintain the highest levels of holiness and purity in a world of darkness. How can the verse call these people afar from God? Okay, There's a lot of troubling stuff over here. You guys are like, Rabbi, you know, we're getting late in the hour. You better have some fast answers, because <laughs> you've thrown down a lot of questions. And I hope you've got answers. Let's hope so too. Rab Simcha Zissel Ziv, the Saba of Kelm. He was a great leader in the Yeshiva of Kelm. He writes that he always wondered... Why people who were brought up with all the right chinuch, all the right education, are often so unimpressed with their own Judaism. They were given the Torah from day one, yet they're unmoved by it. Often though, you find people who come to Judaism later in their life, and they are so enthused by it. And he says something fascinating. Listen to this amazing, brilliant insight. He says, the problem is, If a person grows up his whole life studying Torah, so he's first taught Judaism as a five-year-old. And he's taught it at a five-year-old level, because that's all he's able to understand. That's all his maturity is able to grasp. So he starts learning Torah and Judaism on a very, very basic level. Then the next year, when they start teaching it in kindergarten, he's like, oh yeah, I know this stuff already. Comes first grade, oh yeah, I know, Shabbos, because God created the world in six days. Second grade, oh yeah, Shabbos, I I know, because God created the world in six days, rested on the seventh. Third, fourth, fifth, sixth. He ends up going through his whole life with no more of an understanding other than God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. Now that's highly unfulfilling for an adult. The adult brain might think, well, God could have created the world in five days and rested on the sixth. God could have created the world in three seconds and rested for the rest of eternity, which is, I think, the way the unions want it to be. We work for a few, <laughs> a few minutes, and then we <laughs> rest for e- eternity. <laughs> the, uh, God could have had it many other ways. Why did God create the world in six days and rest on the seventh, specifically? Why am I allowed to, on Shabbos, push heavy furniture around the room but I can't, I can't plant my garden, which I enjoy so much. As we get to become an adult, we start asking ourselves all kinds of questions. And we realize that, ugh, child, maybe Judaism doesn't mean that much to me. But that's because we haven't started studying the more sophisticated, the deeper, the more beautiful aspects of our Judaism. A, a 30-year-old man with a 5-year-old understanding finds himself pretty unstimulated. Duh! Duh! However, the person who only comes to Judaism later in life, he started off at 30, he starts approaching his Judaism, at 40 he starts approaching his Judaism, but he's being taught it at a high level. And it's exciting. He's being taught all these adult concepts. He's a 30-year-old person being given 30-year-old explanations, and Torah is amazing when you actually learn it at an age-appropriate level. He's blown away by it. He goes to Sheol and he's davening and he's blown away by the beauty and the depth of prayer. But for the kid who's been davening since first grade, he hasn't changed his davening since first grade. I, I was once speaking to this person who he grew up with almost nothing, Jewish wise, and began studying with this rabbi. And I asked him, How's it going? Says, oh, that rabbi is the best. You don't understand. He's teaching me the most amazing things. He's so knowledgeable. He knows everything. It's incredible. So, really, what are you learning? He's like, oh, we're learning prayers. First, we went through the morning service. And then we did the afternoon service. This guy's amazing. The whole prayers are wild and amazing. That's incredible. He's correct. We're not impressed by what we're used to. We're only impressed by what is new and fresh. That's why often I spend most of my life teaching people who had, like this whole trip in West Virginia, most of the people had very limited Jewish knowledge. I don't have to teach that much and they think I'm brilliant. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) (laughs) We're not impressed by what's impressive, we're impressed by what's new to us. If I were to right now take out a piece of paper and start folding it up doing some origami and at the end of the pa- at the end of this folding up I would have a little like a little like a grasshopper and I would say watch and I pull the tail and the wings would <laughs> flap right you guys are like wow that's amazing how do you do that but when you see a grasshopper you're like grasshopper how amazing is a grasshopper A grasshopper that can leap 30, 40 times its body length in one jump. Can you do that? Nowhere near, right? So like the grasshopper is such a marvel of engineering and ingenuity. The fly. You ever notice how when you try to swat a fly, it just it has this jumping mechanism. They jump back, right? And they jump back like five or six times their entire body height. To get out of the way of your hand coming down. Then they fly away. Brilliance, like a spring-loaded mechanism in there. But we're not impressed by flies. We're not impressed by grasshoppers. We're not impressed by the technology that allows these lights to be lit up. What is going on in this light bulb right here? There's a bunch of gases that have been locked in there, trapped in there in this glass tube, and we shoot an electron through them and those gases get so excited that they light up the whole room. Is that not wild? Is that not cause for being blown? Like, just unbelievable. We should be blown away. We walk outside and we see, we see the clouds coming. Amazing. How, where did that cloud come from? What body of water did it form over? Maybe it just got all of its moisture from the rising moisture coming out of the ground. Unbelievable. That was perfectly timed. Unbelievable! <laughs> We're not so impressed because we've seen it before. And Hashem expresses His disappointment at this phenomenon when He speaks to the prophet Isaiah. Source number 10, chapter 29, verse 13. Yeshaya, chaftes Pasal Yud Gimel. By Yomar, HaShem, Hashem says... These people, you want to know why I'm upset? Because the people come near with their mouths and their lips. They honor me. The libo me many. I see them. They go to show them. Hold on, hold on. Hold on. Uh, no, no, sorry. No, you hold on. You're just not where you're. You're not dialed in. You're not with me, says the Lord. You don't. You, you, you say you mutter all the right things. You have a Shabbos dinner. Are you thinking about Shabbos? Are you appreciating Shabbos every single week for what Shabbos is? You're saying prayers. Do you understand? You're talking to God, the King of all kings. I mean, imagine if Michael Jordan walked into the room right now. Michael Jordan, right? the goat <laughs> they keep doing it the goat bam <laughs> the goat the greatest of all time in basketball and he just said by the way I have some free time I just figured I was in the area anybody wants to schmooze I'm, I'm here for a conversation we'd all be like oh my gosh really tell me what does this feel like What's it feel like to be like a goat And we have so many questions for him we want to talk to him God's available for us three times a day matter of fact God says, I'll make myself available to you any time of day. Any time you want to talk to me, God says, I'm here for you. How can we think of doing repentance when we become so jaded that all the Jewish holidays are just, they, they insert ourselves into our busy lives and then they leave quietly. And for us, holidays, okay, so what's the food I make for this holiday? Rosh Hashanah. Is that the kreplach one or that's the, uh, the brisket one? Is it Simis? What is it? Kriblach is for Tzuchus. Okay, we do it for Yom Kippur. You know what I'm saying? Arab Yom Kippur. Arab Yom Kippur. You know what I'm saying? Right? And also Simchas Torah. Uh, no, Oshana Rabbah. You're right, Oshana Rabbah. The end of Tzuchus. So yeah, so like, it's like, okay, fine, we have a holiday coming up, so what's the food items, and what's this, what's that? Like, God's like, you're with me, but you're, but you're not. How can you even think about beating our chest and saying, I'm sorry for doing this, I'm sorry for doing that, when... You don't really, you're not really sorry. And you're just saying things without any meaning. If the ten days of repentance are a process of changing who we are, the first step is to wake up like a baby and see the world with excited eyes again. I love going to Israel with people who have never been there before. Because you get to see Israel through the eyes of a newbie. A child's always looking around, always learning, always curious. We need to have that curiosity about our own life. We need to have that fascination. We need to feel everything so intensely. A baby, you take away his toy, the whole world just exploded. You give his toy back, he's exuberant. We need to feel, we need to be passionate. We need to make ourselves like we're a new person. Like we're in the witness protection program. Like we've just been dropped down into this new city. And and most importantly, we, we need to become the person who doesn't know all the things I can't do. We all have a laundry list. What's holding you back way more importantly than your sins. Your sins are minuscule compared to your own shackles that you've created around yourself. I wish I could get into the davening more, but I can't. I just don't have concentration. I really wish I could just be more, make more phone calls to people who are stuck or whatever. I can't. I don't feel comfortable. I wish I could make peace with my brother. I haven't spoken to in three years, but I, I can't. I can't do it. He's. A, I can't. I just, That's not in me. I don't know. I can't. If you want to know what's holding you back from being the greatest you, forget about your sins. Those are secondary. We'll deal with those in Yom Kippur. Firstly, get out of all the shackles you've created for yourself. Break out of all the walls you've surrounded yourself with. The but i can't. There was a story where a boy once went to the Ger-Rebbe. And the Ger-Rebbe said to him, Where do you learn? And he said, Or Sameach, but I'm not about Teshuvah. Or Sameach is Yeshiva for people who are returning to Judaism. He says, Or Sameach, but I'm not about Teshuvah. And the Ger-Rebbe looked up and he says, Farvas nisht. Why not? Why aren't you changing? About the shuva, someone who's constantly attacking his life and saying, I want to be bigger, I want to be better. You're telling me I learned here, but I'm not about the shuvah. Why not? Why can't you be one of those people who came closer to me? Hashem says, You want to know who's close to me? The people who came close to me. Those people used to be shackled by the I can'ts. The people are far away from me and the people who have always done the right things, but they've done what they can do and they haven't done anything more. They're exactly in the right pattern. They're in their little stride. They're in their comfort zone. And they do mostly good, like all of you, like all of us. You want who's close to me, says God? The people who came closer. And the first step of coming closer is breaking out of that old you. Yes, are you going to have to sacrifice some of your good? You may not have the same merits, yeah, but you also get fresh eyes to look at the world. Fresh eyes, my friends. That is the gift of Rosh Hashanah. The first step of Rosh Hashanah is to be reborn. To be a new human being. To say all those negative, reinforcing idioms, And realities that are not really realities, but I've created them as rock solid in my life, I'm gonna let them all throw away, far fall away. I wish I could come to show more, but stop. We're gonna stop right there. I wish I could come to show more. Does your kid ever feel phased by anything? I remember my daughter jumping off the bed head first. Why not? She thought she could fly. You know, I'm like, like for real. She thought she could fly. Now, of course, it only takes once or twice. Sometimes, depending on the kid, <laughs> but eventually, a child figures out I, I, I can't fly. But a kid, to, uh, when you're when you're freshly born, when you're when you're a new kid, everything's in the realm of possibility. I could go to shul more, I could daven more. I could keep kosher better. I could make my Shabbos more spiritual. I could learn more. I can engage other people in a, in a supportive and positive way more. I, I actually can. We have ten days of teshuva. Ten days of repentance. The first day says, let's throw away all those I can'ts. Let's be... New with the world. The Torah again and again and again tells you to attack each day like it's new. It says, Here, And these words which I'm commanding you today, in Devarim six Rashi says, they should appear like I just gave you these mitzvahs today, they're brand new, they're fresh. Hayom 2616. Deuteronomy 2616. Today Hashem is commanding you. And Rashi says again, every day, every day should be like new. I remember, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take you guys a little bit over the limit, but there's a cool story. When I was a little kid, I decided that I wanted glasses. Why did I want glasses? For my, in my mind, motorcycle mans wore glasses. You know, because you see the cool guy driving down the street with the motorcycle in the dark, you know, the sunglasses, whatever. Like. So I decided I wanted glasses. So I told my parents I wanted glasses, true story. Uh, I went into the ophthalmologist, and he showed me a picture of a house, and I said, that's three. And he said, and he showed me a picture of a fish. He said, what's this? And I'm like, my house. <laughs> like, back and forth. We, we went through a couple of, and he's like, okay, you need glasses. I'm like, ah, oh, So I got a a pair of glasses, but I was also also a very rough, (laughs) my mother's here, I was also a very rough and tumble uh, young man, so I broke my first pair of glasses pretty early on. And then I broke my second pair of glasses pretty early on. My parents went back to the glasses salesman, and he, I, I don't know the conversation, but I think he said to them something like this, I'm going to give you a pair of glasses that is so sturdy that if, if your son manages to break it, we'll pay off your mortgage. And then he gave me the big, gigantic, plastic, you know, you, know, you know, the Coke bottle glasses. I walk into school the next day, I'm so humiliated, so embarrassed, I just stopped wearing glasses. But, but the problem was by now, I already hurt my eyes. Because if you wear glasses when you don't need them for so long, your eyes become deficient. When my family moved to Israel, I made sure to leave those glasses back in America. We moved to Israel. I was still afraid to tell my parents that I couldn't see because I was afraid they were going to get me another pair of Coke bottle glasses. It wasn't until, I think, after my bar mitzvah, over a year after I moved to Israel, I finally came to my parents. I'm like, I I can't really see. I can't see the the board in school. I I can't see much anything, you know, unless you're really close to me. My brother, oh, let's get you a pair of glasses. I go to my father to this pair of glasses. We get, it was called a neat in Jerusalem, downtown Jerusalem. He got me this beautiful pair of Giorgio Armani, <laughs> beautiful glasses. I was like, if I would have known about this, we would have gotten glasses. Anyway, I walk out the first day. I remember it was a cool fall evening in Jerusalem. And I walk outside and I could see. The world was amazing. I could see that people actually had individual hairs. I could see that buildings had stones. it weren't just white blobs. I could see the stones in Jerusalem, all these facades. I could see the buses that were coming my way. I could see what number was from down the street. I could see the rain falling in the sunlight. The world was a new place. That is what Rosh Hashanah is supposed to be for us. A day where we look at the world all anew. And everything is exciting. Our kidneys, our intestines, our nervous system, apples, pomegranates, dates, brisket. We have to live like we're just so excited to be alive. And everything is possible. Because the biggest step to becoming the person we need to be is breaking out of all the old stuff. And yes, I may have to give up some good deeds with it. I'll take it. If I could be a new me, I'd give anything to that. Hashem says, Rosh Hashanah, it's the day of the... Rosh Hashanah. It's a brand new day. It's the beginning. Start off over here. We can start you off at day one. Ze hayom, ma'asecha. Like we say in the services, this is the day, the beginning of your actions. If we are ready to do that, if we're ready to come into Rosh Hashanah and lose all of our preconceived jails, lose all the shackles that we have put up in our lives, and yes, everything becomes possible. Yes, I can do more. Yes, I can be more active. Yes, I can go to more classes. Yes, I can go to more shul. Yes, I can do more kindness. Yes, I can reach out to people more. Yes, I can be more friendly and open with people. If you're willing to do that, and we say to Hashem, Give us a new year, a different year, then Hashem will say to us, No problem, I will give you indeed a Shana Tova Masuka, a happy and sweet new year. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for listening. And thank you for being awesome. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.